Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all involved in some form or another. I'm not guilty. <laughs> the dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicki. I'm Eileen. And better known as Mom. <laughs> Uh, welcome back to the show. We are in a new month, which means a brand new guest host. Uh, and this month we have my dearest, dearest mother. And number one fan. And so she says. <laughs> she has listened to all of the episodes. I you have. have. So And may thank I remind you. you that way in the beginning, you and Tiff made a comment about, we should have our moms on sometime. That's true. That was like years ago. Yeah. Because <laughs> we've been doing I've this been waiting for a long years. Time. Yeah, so in our monthly rotation of guest hosts, we decided to have you on. I'm curious because you, of course, I mean, obviously, I've always really been into true crime and spooky things and horror. You are not making that up. You have been. You have always been very supportive. (laughs) Maybe not. Yeah, right. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Maybe not interested, but like supportive right i try so but you definitely are into true crime i would say as much as i am i would not say as much as you would, <laughs> as anybody we have had some wonderful discussions <laughs> yeah. over the years was there like a case or something that happened that got you like interested in it or did you just kind of fall into it things will get my attention because they are like so out there i just can't believe things happened yeah and people do things yeah like that one of my stories is like that yeah so yes i you will point out things to me too and say hey you should watch this or well heck in the family even aunt linda will send me these generally really graphic horrible stories and said send this on to vicky yeah so. <laughs> yeah right yeah um and i guess i don't know should, I, should we give background you were a teacher forever <laughs> Well, not forever, you're not now, but but that's why I was telling you earlier that I can come on because I was a professional talker for a big chunk of my life. It's true, and I inherited that. Right, lucky me. 
<laughs> better than the other way. I yeah, think. that's true. Well, we have another great episode for you guys. If this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Let's head over to the newsroom. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so we are now in a new year. And one of the things that I like to do, and I kind of wanted to highlight this at the at the top of the show, is look at the laws in Illinois that are going into effect. Because um, we are based in Illinois, and always January 1st, there's a bunch of new laws this year. So there's, there's about 300 news so. articles are out there, but I haven't read them yet. So this will be interesting. There are. And I'm not obviously going to go. We do not have time to go through no. all 300. And there are some highlights. There's things like the... Uh, banning books ban which i think is great it essentially just says you can't do a book ban in illinois right um there's minimum wage increase there's a bill that basically says if the heat index is above i think 90 degrees the electric and gas company can't shut off your electric so that people have air conditioning you know if you don't pay your bill or whatever which is you know Obviously, for extreme temperatures, but we saw a lot of that here. Right. The one thing that I did really want to highlight is a bill. It's SB 380. And essentially, what SB is Senate Bill, Senate Bill 380. Essentially, what it does is it allows people a civil cause of action for fertility fraud. So this means that if you're a victim of fertility fraud, it gives you the ability to pursue action in civil court. What would constitute fertility fraud? That is a great question. So there have been in recent years many, many cases uh, coming out of being revealed that doctors have been engaging in fertility fraud. Um, most of the time, it is doctors using their own sperm to inseminate um, yep. people going to fertility Heard clinics, not saying anything. We've had, there was a 2018 case um, filed against Gerald Mortimer. There was a case against Donald Klein um, in Indianapolis who used his own sperm. Uh, John Boyd in Vermont. And Joss Beek in the Netherlands. I mean, it's not even just centralized to the U.S. So the issue with this, one, is many times people don't find out until much later in life. And in a lot of these cases... 
they have found out due to things like ancestry or genetic testing, which is, you know, in the 80s when a lot of this 80s and early 90s when a lot of this stuff was happening and even back into the 70s, like that nobody had access to that really easy access. So now people are finding out that they have these extra siblings that you know all have the same retroactively ask for child support that'd be interesting right yeah yeah i'm not sure how that would work you know we all assume doctors are wealthy and but if you're if you're supporting you know 20 or 30 kids right yes yeah so in most of those cases you don't have any course of action through the courts to hold somebody accountable because it's just like not really a thing that the court system and the legal system has had to deal with or reckon with because it wasn't really that common until now. Right. So Illinois is actually the first in the country to have a law like this to provide a course of action for people who are victims of fertility fraud. We're number one. We're We're number number one, which is great. I mean, I think that's awesome. Like, Right. I'm interested to see... I don't know specifically if there have been cases in Illinois. I'm sure there have. Nothing that I've seen that's been so, like, massive that it has made the news. But, yeah, I mean. It would be interesting because, again, I am of an age where when I was, I mean, all this fertility stuff has happened during my lifetime. There was no such thing back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, So with that, we are going to head over to Netflix and Kill, where this week we are talking about The Puppet Master Hunting the Ultimate Con Man on Netflix, which was a wild ride. You suggested this, and I am not as big of a Netflix watcher as Mm -hmm. you are, but holy moly, this was crazy. Yeah, and I think... I think we might have talked about this on the show. There's something that is telling me that Janelle might have talked about this, or I listened to another podcast that I talked. I'm not sure, but I'm like, this sounds really familiar. But the story itself is crazy. It centers around Robert Hendy Freegard, um, who is this guy who was scamming people <laughs> and hiding his identity. He was suggesting that he was part of a high-level Irish government. It was like, or no, it was, was um, the, MI5? Other, he, yes, MI5. He right? was on the other side. The yeah. anti That's it. And they were trying to find the IRA, like, factions. Yes. And he's telling people that he's, like, recruiting them into this MI5 thing program and i found it was interesting that the first person that they talked about was going to an agricultural college and it was um they talked about well there's and at the time there were bombs going off and what do you need for bombs but fertilizer and diesel fuel yes so it kind of made sense that an agricultural school might be a place where people can get that. Sure, sure. And, I mean, it is like the lies were crafted so well, like you said, just to have enough truth Yes. to be like, okay, maybe. This all sort of evolved into him, um, these people that he was traveling with, basically going into hiding a lot of times and then trying to bilk their families for money um, to send them money for 
you know, quote unquote emergencies or uh, to to pay for the classes to get reexamined for the semi five pro, which is like wild to me. And all these people were convinced that the IRA was after them. Yes, and they had to hide. Yeah. And they did it well, and they did it for a long time. Yes. I couldn't – I was kind of shocked at the energy it took for this guy to continue this for was like 10 years or something. Yes. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. It – yeah. And he had multiple victims at the same time where he was like – hiding people away and leaving them with like no food, no nothing and just like a room. Yeah. Going to deal with some other part of his con coming back to like, try to start. There was the one who was like, he came back and was like, do you want to be my girlfriend? Which was kind of, you know, it's, it was the whole thing is very, very strange. Creepy. Kind of super creepy. And it is, Amazing in some regard that these people can be brainwashed to this extent because they seem like very normal, intelligent people. But again, just like we were talking about, there was enough of a little core of truth that made kind of sense and they were protecting their families. Yes. If you don't hide with me, uh, the IRA is going to come after your families and kill them. Yes. Yeah. And he did get some time in prison, um, which is also like the legal battle is kind of interesting. So he was charged um, with theft, deception, kidnapping by fraud um, in 2005. And then the kidnapping conviction got overturned in 2007. Okay. Um, And a lot of that has to do with these people being adults and willingly going with him, right? Willingly in quotes. like I'm kind of eye-rolling now because, you know, there's willingly, yes, but if somebody has convinced you of something that is not true. Right. I don't see how that's not taken into consideration. It's like the brainwashing aspect of it. Yeah. Um, He did receive life in prison in 2005, but it was later reduced to nine years in 2007 at the same time that they got rid of the kidnap conviction. I think that was the thing that made it such an extended sentence. Okay. He was apprehended again recently, um, September of 2022. Okay. I can't remember if this was in the documentary or not. But he was apprehended, ended up going to a court in Belgium. He would they were trying to get him extradited. And then he has actually been indicted on alleged attempted murder of persons holding public authority and is currently being held in pretrial detention. Was there anything that you found as to crimes committed before he did this? scam let's say like or... a smaller scam before right um he seemed very organized and kind of had people figured out as to how he could convince them to do these things he wanted them to do yeah so his original career was a barman and a sale car salesman oh I interestingly enough yeah yes. um <laughs> and so he kind of like went from car which is an interesting transition from car sales to conning people yes. like very naturally because I don't really see that he had I mean he pretty much went 
zero to 60. And the con was always that he was an MI5 agent, like going after the IRA. There was like no lead up to that. It was just... That's why it seems so weird that it would just come out of the blue that he hadn't done... But I feel like the car sales is like kind of a tip. (laughs) Okay, but not all car salesmen are con men. No, just... A lot of them. <laughs> they do have that reputation, though, for being they do. They smooth do. and, like, well, you know, sell. charismatic. Exactly, and exactly. Just selling a story instead of a car. Yes, exactly. Um, so, what did you, I mean, I really enjoy I think it's worth a watch. It's really interesting. I thought it was crazy. Yeah. I just, it was one of those wild stories. Yes, yeah. Um, I agree. And it was... Like, they had enough interviews and the way they structured everything with, like, what he was doing and the people who are trying to figure out where he's at. Like, and I was really good. And the people who were conned for years, no contact with families, their mental health issues afterwards had to be ginormous. Yes. And I loved the dad that they talked to yeah. through the whole thing because he was sure his daughter was out there and was doing everything that he knew to do. Yeah, he was doing real armchair detective work, which I love. And he just was, it seemed like an average guy farmer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So that is The Puppet Master, Hunting the Ultimate Con Man. That's on Netflix. You can check it out. That being said, this is that part of the show where I say some content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Um, It's at, at least on my end, it's actually pretty tame violence wise you know mine is pretty tame violence wise also so mom what are we talking about today well it's interesting all the things you've talked about up till now kind of have connections with the story i'm going to tell you it's kind of a wild story. Okay. I heard it first a year ago, a little well, a little more than a year ago. And when we talked about my coming to join you on the show, it was the first thing that popped into my head because it's such a wild story. Okay. I also want to say, by the way, Hi, Janelle, and I hope you come back soon. <laughs> I felt like I was doing a research paper for a master's class. So, Do you want to tell our listeners what the topic is for The today? topic is medical crime, although I am going to veer off of medical crime partway through. Okay. Uh, you have talked about going down a rabbit hole, and this was an entire rabbit warren. Yes. That's a word we heard at our trivia I night. didn't know that was the name for a rabbit hole. It's is a, a multitude of rabbit holes. That is a warren. <laughs> is, is a warren. So we're going to talk about a man named Paolo Maccarini. Okay. Have you heard of this person? I have not. I will say that after I chose this topic, lo and behold, about oh, a few weeks before we're recording, yes, something came out on Netflix, a three-part Netflix. You were looking into it first. For I the was record. looking into it first, and I asked you, and you said, "Go for it." Yes. Now, have you ever heard of? There's a series called Doctor Death. Yes, I have actually listened to that because that came out like the podcast series okay. came out like years ago. It was like three or four years ago. So I know really nothing about it. Is it a video? I mean, is it on on? So it was a podcast, podcast series first? that was adapted into a 
TV show, and I think they've done a movie. Like, I think it's a TV show and a movie. Okay, well, I think he's coming out on the TV show in an episode which is going to be released or may have been released already. Okay. So even Yeah, because they kind of changed it into, like, originally Dr. Death was about one doctor that had done some medical scams. So I think they have, like, with the TV series, like, adapted it to be, like, one a season. Okay, is or what one I'm an episode yeah, or something. something like that. Yeah. I've not seen it. I don't even know if it's out yet, but it is coming out as we're recording this okay. very soon. Exciting. So I'm going to do my best. I believe in you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I will t- and let me tell you, as, as a rookie mistake, this is gets complicated. Okay. It also has a lot of European names in it. You're going to feel my pain. We'll record and she will listen to an episode and be like, well, do you know that you pronounced such and such wrong? And I'm like, well, I do now. It's a struggle. It is a struggle. You got to write all the stuff down phonetically. And there's medical things. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I'm going to do the best I can and I'm going to circle around some things and come back. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Paolo Maccarini. I looked up. Background family life did not find a whole lot. Yeah. So I'm, I, um, he was born in Basel, Switzerland in August of 1958. Okay. Uh, the one thing I did see about his family is at one point in time, his father became ill, went to see doctors. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. Paulo began to treat him and he died shortly after. Interesting. um, That seemed to be something that weighed heavily on Paolo for part the rest of the. So he just took the treatment on himself. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, if the doctors say we don't know what's wrong, he tried things. So I do understand that. He is a thoracic surgeon. Okay. Now the uh, thoracic cavity of your body is everything that's like in the upper part of your body above your diaphragm enclosed by your ribs okay so let's kind of okay. put it in that context i've heard that term and i really i looked it up just yeah. because i wanted to make sure i knew i would never have been able to gotcha <laughs> get that so a little bit on his background um, he received his medical degree in 1986 and a master's of surgery in 91 from the University of Pisa, think Leaning Tower of. Oh, okay. Um, he also went to the University of Franche-Comte in France, okay. where he received a master's in 94 and a doctorate in 97 in organ and tissue transplantation. Wow. Now, so, I mean, it sounds like the dude's got a lot of schooling, fancy schooling, fancy-sounding schooling. <laughs> it is, it is fancy-sounding schooling, and I will say, I don't know that anybody questions whether or not this person is intelligent. He seems to be very intelligent, very charismatic, mm. very generous. It's said that he looks like George Clooney, and he does kind of very handsome. He's the kind of person who is like a star when he walks into a room. He just has that magnetism. Yeah. I have to look up a picture of this guy. And I saw several pictures over the course of years. And I think as he 
got a little older, he got a little more handsome. You think so? I thought so. Paolo Maccherini? Maccherini. Oh, yeah. Okay. You see the He's a good-looking dude. He is. He is a good-looking dude. And, yeah, I get it. Yes. I get it. Okay. There was a lot about positions he held, and I'm leaving quite a bit of this out because there was some disagreement about positions he held, whether his, um, I'm going to call it a resume. I just heard the term CV, which is curriculum vitae. Vitae. Curriculum vitae. Vitae. And there's actually a woman on um, YouTube who does pronunciations, and there's a European pronunciation, and there is an American pronunciation. Yeah. I was so surprised, because this came up at Trivia like a couple weeks ago. I am learning so much And you guys did not know CV. And you know what? Truthfully, it's... I feel like way more used in Europe. When they're talking about resumes, they're always talking about CVs and not they don't ever almost ever use resume. Right. And I So the I, stuff that that this is like stuff that he self-reported on his resume is right. that he's saying. So even right. like the education is self-reported or um there, did that ever get verified? Well, there's some discussion he went to a school in the southeastern United States and he said he received this degree from the school and the school said, "Well, no, he only went here for a short amount of time okay. and never completed his schooling." There's one interview he went to and i'm trying not to get ahead of myself sorry Um, i have a bad habit of doing well (laughs) obviously you inherited that too (laughs) so there's one time where he's applying for this rather prestigious position and he was pretty much a shoe-in a committee was formed to interview and review things and kind of rubber stamp and he claimed to have been an associate professor at one of these schools I mentioned that he that where he graduated and someone on the committee was in school there at the same time and said no, he was never an associate. That's professor one of those things that I'm like, school. that is easily enough verifiable. You know what I mean? That's right. a, a big enough claim that's like, okay, we can, that's like easy to check. Right. So I, I left a lot of the schooling out. He held a lot of different positions and in Germany, in Barcelona, Spain, in London, in Italy. Wow. Um, in, he worked in Russia. He he travels the world. He is one of those people. Okay. In 2010, he was appointed as a visiting professor at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, with a part-time position at their affiliated Karolinska Hospital. Have you ever heard of Karolinska? No. Is it, like, a big deal? It is a big deal because it is the... People connected with Karolinska Hospital who select the Nobel Prize winner in physiology and medicine. Okay. And I heard someone describe it as the most expensive hospital in the world. Oh, and it's not in the U.S.? It is in Stockholm. <laughs> That's shocking. Not everything <laughs> is in the U.S., but it's a big deal yeah. and a very prestigious location. Um, so if you were like in the medical community and somebody had that down as something on their CV, that would be like, oh, okay. Yes. And this is verified. He was okay. there. So this is not a made up thing. Okay. 
Now, he burst onto the scene because he's been obviously doctoring for a while. In 2008, he burst onto the scene doing kind of new procedures in medicine. Um, This is when things like... um, Regenerative medicine are starting, building body parts in the labs using stem cells. I was going to say, is that like the stem cell research start? Yes. Okay. This is kind of a big deal. Um, He did a surgery on a woman, Claudia Castillo. It was at the hospital clinic in Barcelona, Spain. Um, all of these surgeries I'm talking about today are dealing with the trachea, the windpipe. Okay. Okay. Um, she had had tuberculosis. It had damaged her airway. He, what he was doing that was new was, at this point, taking a cadaver airway, mm-hmm. trachea, chemically stripping it of its cells, and then using the stem cells of the patient impregnating this cadaver trachea with stem cells and implanting it. So the idea is if you your own stem cells then would regenerate on this trachea, you would not have to take the uh, medication when you get... Um, is it, is so like they don't reject the, the body parts and yes, stuff? Yes, you don't reject the okay. body parts. This, so you're essentially like changing the DNA of... Maybe not DNA, but changing right. it to match your right. stuff. Right, on the to match inside. your stuff. For, so. for all of us non-medical folk, you know. Exactly. Again, rookie mistake. I went right into the medicine. <laughs> um, so, Don't worry. Somebody will tell us if we get it wrong. <laughs> I, I believe you. Um, it won't be me. No, not this time. <laughs> not this time. <laughs> and after he would do surgeries, often within a very short while, he would uh, write and publish about these surgeries because they were new. I mean, it was big news. I saw clips of news stories on like national news in the U.S. and elsewhere that, wow, this is a new thing that's happened. And he published this one in Lancet in 2008. Okay. And Lancet is a very well-known, well-respected medical journal. I've even heard of it. So you know how important and big it is. Yeah. Okay, this is number one. I'm going to go through several different people, and then I'm going to be circling back to some of them because they tie in. Okay. A little bit later on. There is a Danilo Bernardes Pedroza. He was a Brazilian in Italy, born in 1987. He had a damaged uh, trachea incubation after a car accident in 2009. Very handsome young man. Uh, He had a trachea transplant in 2011. He seemed to be, that was in January of 2011. In March, he seemed to be recovering. Then he deteriorated again and died in April of that same year. I'm going to be rolling back to him and his mom in a bit. Okay. Now there's Andamarian Benet. Okay. He was born in 1973. He was from Eritrea, a country in northern Africa. I've never heard of that. I worked with a man from Eritrea. Really? Years ago when I before I married dad. Wow. Yes. So I had heard of this. I've never before. heard of that before. Um he had cancer. 
He was operated uh, in um, September 6th of 2011 at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm. Okay. Now, his surgery was a little bit different in that Dr. Paolo Macarena, he decided to start using um, lab-created plastic tracheas. Okay. And this man was the first one to actually have one of those. Okay. And again, all of these are like impregnated with the patient's stem cells. They're put in. So they even do it with the plastic They even do it with the plastic ones. Later on, I'm going to talk about a Bose Lindquist, who is a documentarian for Swedish TV, who did a series on Swedish television. This man had several surgeries afterward to keep his airway open. Um, He also died some years later. Uh, He was working on his doctorate in Iceland. Okay. And we'll come back to him also. Okay. Now there's Christopher Lyles. He was uh, from Baltimore in the good old USA, born in 1981. He also had, uh, they found a tumor on his trachea. Okay. He was operated on in um, November of 2011 at Karolinska Institute. So wait, are these all happening in 2011? Like these are all happening right around the same the time? The ones I'm talking about, okay. there are some in between. Sure, sure. Um, but these guys are all kind of right around the same. Right. I just realized there were a lot of 2011s in there. So. Well, and they're all going to tie in a little bit later on. Okay. Um, this, I saw, um, they interviewed this young man on the podcast that, We'll be talking, not podcast, I'm sorry, on the Netflix. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Anyway, looked like a very nice young man, had a daughter, just adorable. He, his family is trying to find something. He's told he has six months to live. He didn't look like it, though. I mean, he was just very lively, very positive. Yeah. And they find this doctor online, and the doctor says, I think I can help you. Assisting in this operation was a Philip Youngbluth, who was responsible for regenerating the trachea, you know, putting the stem cells and things on. Okay. And then assisted with the operation. But by the way, he doesn't have a Swedish license to practice medicine. Does he have any license to practice medicine? He does. He is, he is an official doctor, but... That's yeah. sketchy already. It, 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 that makes a it a little like... Ooh. That is sketchy. Yeah. Um, Christopher had infections in his airway, had infections in his wound. He had operations. He had mucus clots, and they had to do some surgical procedures to remove those. He did finally return to the United States. He's something that he was very anxious to do. Mm-hmm. And he he hemorrhaged severely not long, within a f- couple months of returning. Oh, wow. And passed away on um, March 5th of 2012. Okay. Now I'm going to get to Yulia Tulek. She is Russian. Okay. A young dancer. I will, again, circle back to her. She was born in 1979. She was in a car accident and had a tracheostomy, which is... A hole in your throat, yes. and there's like tubes involved. Yeah. So she was dealing with life pretty well, except 
you know, this is doesn't yeah. make your life very good. It's a burden. To, it is a burden it's for a burden. sure. Yeah. Um, so she was operated on in June 19th of 2012 at the Cuban. I'm thinking it's Cuban. I don't want to say Cuban and get confused with another country. Um, K-U-B-A-N, okay. Cuban Medical University in Krasnodar, Russia. Okay. Um, she also had the plastic trachea that was impregnated with stem cells. Um, her story is told in a documentary called Experimentin, which I believe means the experiment. She died in September of 2014. Okay. Um, then we have Yasmin. I'm not seeing a very high survival rate on this. In your opinion, there's others who would disagree. Yes. Yeah. So we have Yezhen Centaur, born in 1990, um, Turkish. I found this interesting. She had damage to her trachea after a botched operation to fix hand sweating. Okay, that is really interesting. And I know, I mean, obviously things, I know... Things happen. Thing, well, and things with like glands and stuff is like intermixed in different parts of the body. Like it's not exactly where you think it would be too. Because I know that you've obviously got glands in your neck and in your right. armpits. Like Right. And, if, and you're dealing with with in surgeries they insert things down your throat for yeah, your breathing and that's all of true this too. and something wow, happened yeah something happened wild so she also had a plastic trachea inserted in august 7th of 2012 um, and it said something about a second plastic trachea graft the following year um, that would have been july 9th of 2013 and it also saw something about it being removed. It talked a lot about medical issues that she had. Her heart stopped. She had like 91 surgical procedures. And I'm thinking some of these are maybe clearing the airways or whatnot. Um, she sound, it said her airway needed to be cleaned every four hours oh and gosh. that it was a very, it was a very, um, uncomfortable yeah. procedure. And this was every four hours. Yikes. It did say that she passed away on March 19th of 2017 after a lung trachea transplant at Temple University in Philadelphia. Oh, we know someone from there. So shout out <laughs> to our friends in Philadelphia. <laughs> not the not the last connection we will have. Oh, interesting. Um, then there is Hannah Warren. Now, Hannah Warren is a toddler. She's a Korean-Canadian, I believe living in Korea. She was supposed to be the first person to receive this plastic trachea. But this is experimental surgery, so right. in the U.S., the FDA did not allow this. Yeah. I imagine age was a factor in that. Possibly. I. It was also experimental yeah. surgery, and at the time, this hadn't been out there long enough mm. for results. Sure. Um, although after a while, there were papers that were published, there were glowing reports out there. Sure. The FDA finally said, okay, we can do this. Um, so 
Paolo was brought over to Illinois, our home state. Shout out. A shout out to Illinois. We're not done with that yet. And I guess they could do temporary medical license or special permission in these cases. So he was granted a... Oh, because he's not licensed he's in the not U.S. Licensed here. Okay, so this—that's interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. And I always think he was like a world traveling doctor who is flying from here to there and everywhere. Yeah. So this surgery was done at the Children's Hospital of Illinois, which is connected as part of St. Francis Hospital in Peoria. Okay. Again, a connection, family connection that yeah. we have there. Yeah, yeah, And I will come back to her also because there's an, this is kind of where one of my stories splits off. She is also shown in the Netflix series and is adorable. She, she was born without a trachea which I didn't know was a thing that could happen, had spent her whole life in the hospital. She was two years old at this time and was just lovely and full of life. And they showed her standing at her crib and she's making faces and just a real cutie. Is this the Under the Knife documentary on Netflix? Yes. Is that what it is? Um, Yes, it is. It's like Under the Knife something, something, something. Yeah, I'm thinking the first two words. And it is Bad Surgeon, yes. Love Under the Knife. Yes, that's it. That's bad it. Surgeon, okay. Love Under the Knife. I don't know that we mentioned it yet, so wanted to make sure we got it in there. Okay. So I'm going to circle back a little bit to some of these. He would do these surgeries, and later on... And again, I am not in the medical profession, and this is the upper echelon of the medical profession, so things are done on a level that I'm not used to. So you have this man who, after the surgery in 2008, gets the nickname of the super surgeon. Oh, God. He has, obviously, (laughs) when he does surgeries, he has other doctors who are on the staff that work with him. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. So when he does these, the reports come out. He's he's publishing papers shortly after he does the surgery. And it seems like a lot of these people do okay after the surgeries mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. But then they take a turn for the worse. Right. Okay, and most of these people do. But then you have him and his reputation and his good looks and his intelligence and his charisma and magnetic personality. So as he's doing surgeries, he seems to be there a lot in the beginning to convince people to do these. And then after the surgeries are done, he kind of takes off and leaves them in the hands of Assistance. So he doesn't really deal with any of the aftercare or... The after effects, yeah. the trauma, the terrible things Yikes. that happen. Okay. Um, I mean, dudes in it, he sounds very important. He is. He sounds very important. He is very important. Oh, goodness. At least in his mind. Of course. So <laughs> In his mind. There's, yeah, that's There's a lot of accurate. talk of these procedures not working well, people getting infections. Um, They 
these tracheas will collapse on themselves and oh my gosh. and you know cut off the airways um things are not very promising yeah um but that news doesn't seem to really get out there really not very well well i mean that's not as much as i could totally see that being something you just kind of don't include in your reporting. Well, except you probably should. I mean, you should. You I should. agree. You absolutely should. But I'm going to go back to this Eula Tulek. Okay. At this point, when he was operating, a lot of the people he's operating on have health issues. That's mm-hmm. why they're coming to see him. He, according to a, a one person who had worked with him, said he wanted to try this surgery on people who were healthier. So this is why he ends up in Russia. Okay. He had done a presentation there, impressed the people who are there, was asked by this politician to come and do some surgeries at the hospital there. Um, it becomes a pet project of Putin. Oh, God. Um he he does this they they have like a lottery so people are presenting their health issues and can you help me yeah and they are out there saying hey choose me choose me i want to have the surgery so this eula tulek this dancer young dancer has a young son uh she again is She's living at home. She's taking care of her son. Mm -hmm. Her life is not terrific, but she is not at death's door. Right. And healthier than the other patients he's been working on. Gotcha. So that's how she was pecked. Okay. Um, After she has the surgery, they bring her out and present her, and she comes out and she can speak and says, okay, as soon as I recover and get healthy, I'm going to go back to school, and I just want to play with my son and all of these things. Yeah, the very heartwarming story. Exactly, very heartwarming. And, of course, this um, they followed um, Apollo during the surgery for the documentary, The Experiment or Experimenta. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So right before... This documentary comes out, the producers email her, how are you doing? Hope everything is going well. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, Just like blah. an update. An update. Email. And she messages back and says, things are not well. Things are terrible. One of the uh, doctors on the side said something about coughing up her own tissue um, oh she my said, gosh. people do not want to be near me because I smell like I'm rotting. <gasps> oh, no. And she said, this trachea is shit. Oh, no. And she messages the director of this documentary, and the documentary goes out anyway. And, of course, Yulia dies. Uh, did they not include any of that? No, none of that was included. That is interesting because, I mean, obviously there's, like, another implication here, right? Like, Russia is known for controlling 
the narrative of things that are published. I had never thought of it in yeah. that way. And if this is a pet project, right. and you're talking millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, he actually, while he was in Russia, switched hospitals and this grant money follows him to the next hospital. And okay. Of course, he's still yeah. this big star surgeon because he's doing these wonderful yeah. new um, technologies in medicine and he's, yeah. all the reports are glowing reports of how well he's right. doing. So I can totally see that being a factor because like, I mean, there's not, I feel like there's a lot of just state paid media happening. And right. especially if you're following this doctor, that's a big deal. Like Exactly. That's a little sketchy. Now, I'm going to go back to, there's three people, and it was this uh, Yensem Sitar and Christopher Lyles on, and on the Andamarian Benne. Those were the three people who were at the Karolinska Institute. Mm -hmm. Now, this becomes interesting because, of course, Karolinska Institute and Associated Hospital are very well known. This doctor um, is very well known, Macarini. So they have convinced him, oh, come, come and work with us. Mm -hmm. So... You've got this good doctor working there. I, In the background, I get the impression that money will kind of follow and glamour mm-hmm. and glory and attention to this institute with this wonderful new procedure. Yeah, I well, can see that. Well, none of these three people have done very well. Right. And in fact, I believe they all die. Their total were... Seven with this, I believe eight with this plastic trachea altogether, seven of whom die, one has it removed and was still alive. And that's the one you said was interviewed in the documentary or no? no? Okay. Different guy. Yeah. All of those Okay. Have yeah, you. I, when you were going through them, you would. It sounded like. See, this is what I said. It sounded like the success rate was not. Success rate was great. not very good. <laughs> yeah. So. After a while, there are um, four doctors that are working with him at Karolinska, and they start to get a little bit suspicious. Mm-hmm. And the, one of them talks about being at a meeting where Dr. Uh, I'm always forgetting his name, Macarini, where Dr. Macarini is presenting, and he's talking about these people that he's operated on and what the procedure is and how well they're doing and all of this. And the one doctor is listening to him and said, you know, in this kind of presentation, you go back and talk about your research before this and your tests you have done before this. So Uh before this, what would you do, do you think? Uh oh. What do you think you would do before you were doing this on humans? Doing this on animals. Never happened. Okay. So, wow. And, okay. And Paolo That's is, kind of a big bomb. Kind of a big bomb. And he he's intimating in in interviews. What do you mean? Well, no, you just don't see this. Oh, the re- this is in Russia they have our research. Nothing has ever come forward. It wouldn't be something wow. you hide. Right. 
one of the doctors talks about the first patient, Andamarian Bene, that actually some of the um, um, samples were switched, so it showed that he had a better prognosis than he actually had. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So we're kind of getting... Wow, this has gotten really sketch. It's, and that's crazy because that is really just a regular part of medical research. Like, you don't start your testing on humans. Right. Ever, and and ever. these are the upper echelons. This isn't just some little, you know, yeah. podunk place in, in a... I can't believe somewhere. nobody had verified that beforehand. He, he's the super doctor. So what? He's had glowing reports. <laughs> everything he I'm is I'm skeptical doing. of everything, though. So I'm just like, I don't exactly. really care. Exactly. Give me proof. So these doctors go to, and, and they said they had to do this research, and they went through all of these procedures, and they found all these discrepancies, and they found things that were left out. Uh -oh. And they go to the board at Karolinska Institute and say, we have these issues. We think there's research um, fraud. And they say, okay, something's going to happen. Nothing happens. Oh. And in fact, then Karolinska Institute comes out and says, we support Dr. Macarini. Oh, no. And these people that are putting this out there are just, they're jealous. They have a vendetta against him. Um, they come out to the press, don't listen to any of this. It's just people with a vendetta. Yikes. One of them talks about getting hauled into the police station and interviewed about stealing research materials. This is not a good look this for is such a, a prestigious, look. supposedly prestigious. I'm sure they still are, but like, yikes. Now, in the background... I'm going to bring another person in. There's a Bose Lindquist, this journalist who mm -hmm. is looking at all of this going on and getting some idea that there's something not right. Mm -hmm. And he's one who does some research. He is working with another person um, who goes to interview the mother of Eula in Russia, and here's this horrendous story yeah. and all of this. And eventually, Lundquist connects with these surgeons, finds out more background, finds out proof. They were talking, these surgeons were talking about having to sneak this research they were afraid if anybody knew that the um, Karolinska Institute would destroy the evidence. And oh they God. actually got um, pictures of Andamarian Bene. Remember, he's the first recipient of the plastic trachea. Yeah. That they had pictures of the trachea after a while, and it was just a piece of plastic. There wow. were no cells growing. There was nothing happening. That's what I was wondering, because I know they can make, like, uh, plastics that more, at least now, they can make plastics that more closely mimic, like, human um, tissue, that are still plastics, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm right. I'm like, these are the first ones they're coming out with. Are they literally just like plastic tubes they're putting in? I think the idea was this would actually become the trachea after a while, but there's no blood supply to it. So right. I, I don't know how this how does ever that just integrate was into your going body? to work. Yeah. So they team up 
and end up um, doing a documentary that comes out in Sweden. The documentary, it says they gathered info against Paolo. They had um, a biopsy from the first patient that was switched. They had video clips of this tube rotting inside the one patient. Everything was just awful. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going to take a little detour because I want to stop with this documentary coming out in Sweden and I want to back up to the patient Hannah Warren, the two-year-old. Okay, so at this time, the early 2000s, this regenerative medicine became a hot topic. So in New York, um, NBC decided they wanted to do a documentary about regenerative medicine. Sure. They had a um, producer, Benita Alexander. They did some research in a, whose name pops up at this Pablo Macarini. They decide to do a documentary on his treatment of Hannah. So they meet up. The father of her child, her ex-husband, is being treated for brain cancer. Okay. She and her ex-husband have a good relationship, and, you know, everything is fine in that area. Her daughter is really yeah. attached to yeah, the yeah. ex-husband and all this. But, of course, this is causing a lot of stress in her life. But she is going on as a professional producer in the, in the world of news and media. Sure. She meets Paolo, and immediately there's a connection there. He's a very handsome and... Okay. What not person. So she also immediately, she says, the second thought I have after our eyes connecting and there being a spark is, nope, it is very unprofessional of right. me. Agreed. To get involved with the <laughs> subject with of a story. Yeah. So she does not for a while. Um, they go through this procedure as they are kind of finishing up with the surgery with Hannah. She's in Peoria with him. Sparks are continuing to fly a bit, and they kind of have this flirtatious and kind of romantic, and a relationship begins. Okay. Um, she, I think, realizes it probably isn't the best professional move she's ever made in her life, but she also feels that... A lot of this series is finished. They're kind of toward yeah. the end of it. Yeah. Um, so they keep the relationship secret. Um, the and it continues for a while. And holy moly, this what she shows of their relationship with Paolo is he's this wonderful, romantic, charming, messaging. They're living separately, obviously. They're, he's traveling the world. She has her job. Yeah. But he flies her on vacations. He's very generous. So he's taking her all over the world. They mm -hmm. show her in Venice in a gondola on the canal. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad about that. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad about that either. And... As time progresses and the relationship develops, he eventually um, asks her to marry him. Okay. 
And she says yes, and he buys her this, he presents her with this beautiful ring that he says this is, oh, eventually tells her it's like a $100,000 diamond oh my ring. God. It's, it's gorgeous. You could do it, so much with $100,000. Absolutely $1, They do keep this under wraps because, again, this documentary is called Leap of Faith. Uh-huh. Um, it was uh, hosted by Meredith Vieira. I don't know who that is. Well, she... People in my generation would have heard. Okay. <laughs> it's a two-hour special. It was kind of a big deal. Anyway, they get engaged. They're still kind of keeping this on the down low because of the professionalism and all of that. Yeah. And he, uh, she uh, is divorced, and he has said something about his divorce being final and all of this, too. So Paolo wants a big Italian wedding. Okay. And that's going to be an issue. Catholic Church, divorced people remarrying. Oh, yeah. I kind guess. of an issue. He said, don't worry. I'm going to take care of everything. I don't want you to worry about anything except getting the invitations okay. and getting your wedding dresses and all the bridesmaids' dresses and all of those things. Yeah. And she's kind of a take charge person. It was hard for her to let this go, but her friend said, oh my gosh, he has beautiful taste. Yeah. He's going to do this right. Don't worry. Take care of what he said. Sure. And he said, you know, don't call these places. I want this to be a surprise, blah, 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 blah. So she proceeds. Somewhere I read something about the wedding invitations were $10,000. Oh, my God. Lambs, you know, it's gold embossed, lambskin something. That Absolute excess. So very excessive. The yeah. dresses are a hot couture from a well-known Ugh. person in New York. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Rich people Whatever. shit is what that is. So somewhere along the line... I believe it was shortly after he proposed, which I think was on Christmas Day, and he decided he needed to leave like New Year's Eve, and she's questioning, why do you have to leave? Mm -hmm. She's still in the glow of this engagement, and it's a wonderful thing. Well, I have people I have to work on. You know, I have surgeries I need to do, and I shouldn't be telling you this, but I'm actually a member of this network of doctors who work on leaders around the world. What? Okay. And he mentions <laughs> he mentions some names oh, God. like um, the Clintons. Okay. Um, so at some point he said, well, I have to, you know, at one point in time he said, well, I have to, you know, Bill Clinton is kind of a friend of mine. He wants me to go and have a look at something Hillary's having problems with. He talks about the emperor of Japan, uh, the Obamas. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of name dropping. There was somebody they named in France, and I don't know all the leaders of France at that time, but I'm yeah. sure it was a higher up. Yeah. And he said, well, I have connections at the Vatican. I'm going to go and see if they can find a priest who will marry us. Okay. And he calls back some time later, I'm sure a few days or whatever, and he said, I have wonderful news. The Pope is going to marry us. Okay. Now, at this point, she feels That's a little... unbelievable. A little... She's like... <laughs> Okay, this is a little unbelievable. I'm not. I'm Catholic. glad at least I'm divorced. Literally, the pope, like the pope being at their wedding, is the thing that she's like. Okay, now that this I just don't believe. I'm at least at least she's there. Yes, and she googles. Does the pope marry people? 
Well, it turns out a month before, the Pope had married 20 couples, mm -hmm. and these were couples that were a bit outside the norm, like they had lived outside of wedlock, they had yeah. children outside of wedlock. This is Pope Francis. He's a little more yeah. progressive. He's the one Pope that I'm like, not, you're okay. Not, okay. You're like, you're okay. So she said, well, the Pope does marry people. Okay, so now as this progresses. Sure. Now we we all of a sudden more information pops up that Andre Bocelli is going to be singing at the wedding. Elton John is going to be playing. And I don't remember if it was the night before at a party or was going to be yeah. playing at the reception. Yeah. Um, John Legend's name got brought up as playing. So this is the wedding of the century. Mm-hmm. The wedding is going to be held at the Pope's summer house. Right. It's a lovely, okay. it's a okay. lovely place. It's a lovely, lovely place. Um, Paolo has rented a castle nearby mm -hmm. where guests can stay. Okay. Okay. So okay. the wedding's going forward. The wedding is going forward. By the way, the Leap of Faith documentary also comes out. Yeah. And is there there it was a little bit interesting because there was an article i read in vanity fair that talks about there's a, a discrepancy i guess cuz she did finally have to come out to the people she worked with and her bosses about this relationship she was having that was a little on the unprofessional side at the time mm -hmm. and it did cause a bit of anxiety and you know consternation in the upper echelons but now that she is getting married to Paolo, now they're talking about um, where they're going to live. And he said, well, come, you're going to move into my house in Barcelona. Okay. Um, and they had planned several trips to Barcelona, but something yeah. always seemed to come up and they never actually made it there. But she saw pictures of this house and it's up on a hill with sure. a view of the ocean. And sure, it's just, sure. It's fantastic. So she makes the decision, a tough decision. She's been working as a producer at NBC for quite a few years. She decides she's going to quit her job. She pulls her daughter out of school, and it's a private school in New York, tough to get into, and, you know, turns in her notice, quits her yeah, job. The day yeah. after she quits her job... She goes with some friends for a spa day, and mm -hmm. she gets done with the spa day. She pulls out her phone, and there's an email from one of her friends that just says, The Pope. And she opens it up, and it says, On the day that you're planning on being married, the Pope is going to be in South America. And that's been planned for a long time. Okay. She said at that point, she realized that all of this was not true yeah yeah that oopsie this was this was like a a and and she had supported him and yeah. helped him and all of this yeah so he questions he she he happened to be in new york comes over and she's like what the hell yeah you know, why are you doing this to me what is going on and he's trying he's like no 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 this is all vatican politics i didn't invite the previous pope to the wedding and he's mad um he had originally said that the pope was going to marry these two divorced catholics to set a precedent mm -hmm. for 
marrying divorced people. Yeah. And that there were people in the church politics that didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to stop it. And that's why they were doing this. So he had good excuses in his mind for all of these things happening. Well, she kind of at that point said, yeah, get out. Yeah. Good. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. And at this point, she's trying to put her life together. Yeah. Um, this was like two months before the wedding, Okay. by the way. So it's fairly, fairly close. Yeah. On what would have been her wedding day, she and two good friends of hers go to Barcelona. She said, you know, there's something weird here that we never completed these trips to Barcelona. Yeah. I'm going to go find out what's going on. Okay. Two friends of hers go, have this girl's trip to Barcelona. Um, It has video of the two friends and her in a car driving up to Paolo's house. At that point, she is like so stressed she doesn't get out. She's wearing this blonde wig as a disguise. Yeah. They were drinking in the car as they're going to kind of get their courage up (laughs) and whatnot. The two girls go up to the door, ask for Paolo, he comes out. She says, I see him come out. And then not long after, two little children come out. Oh, my God. And she hears the children call him Papa. Lo and behold, he's been married for 30 years. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. So this whole thing is just... Um, oh, I didn't. I, I did skip one little part. Remember when she was going to kick him out? Yeah. He told her that there were some other things that he didn't hadn't told her that she shouldn't know, and that he actually was a doctor, and this network of doctors was actually sponsored by the CIA. Okay. And that he was actually a sniper. Oh, my God. Okay. So I appreciated your earlier Netflix (laughs) kill because all of this ties into all the stuff that we talked about before. And it gets pretty crazy. So anyway. That's wild. It is a very wild story. So he just has kept his one wife in Barcelona this whole time. Yes. They talk in the video about him having five, like five cell phones. (laughs) <laughs> he speaks, that would imme- honestly having more than one cell phone would immediately five or six different languages so he said well this is my phone for when i'm talking in russian you don't this need that is my phone anyway. no you don't need that you don't yes. nobody needs yes. that you just need one phone <laughs> now i am going to stop at this point and make another quick u-turn i said i was going to talk about this daniello bernades pedroza who was in um, 2011, he had the accident and he had the trachea replacement. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay. the damaged trachea from surgery? Damaged trachea. No, he, he Not was in a car surgery. accident. Oh, okay. okay. And he started to get better, then took a real slide detour. Yeah. After this, the mom brought charges against the hospital. Okay. And as part of the charges, they also went against Paolo Maccarini. Okay. Well, he was very present before the surgery, and after the surgery, he called her and would, you know, console her, and he 
called her and was trying to help her get through, and he started calling her every day. Mm -hmm. By the way, over a course of time, they also started a relationship. What? Okay, I did not see that coming. Right. So while she's charging the hospital, she's being very supportive of Paolo and how wonderful, and he's a super surgeon. So was she in a relationship with him when when she brought suit against him? Um, I don't know exactly the timeline for yeah. that. I, it seemed like it was brought against the hospital and he was just kind of included. Okay. The relationship was going on while he was under this legal charge. Gotcha. Which okay. eventually was dismissed, but they continued this relationship. She is in um, Florence, Italy, I believe, in an apartment, and they have a daughter. Okay. Somewhere along the line, I did see that he had five kids. I only have heard about three. I do not know where the other two come from. Oh, wow. Now, about the time she finishes this relationship, she's thinking he has lied to me about everything. He's lied about everything. What is he lying about in his professional life? Mm -hmm. And she has a friend who has a connection at Vanity Fair. She does a interview and the story comes out in Vanity Fair about all of this relationship and um, romance, almost call it a romance scam. Yeah. Um, I found a very interesting quote in the Vanity Fair article that was written by Adam Sorolsky, and it is in the my sources that you can find. It says... To understand why someone of considerable stature could construct such elaborate tales and how he could seemingly make others believe them, I turn to Dr. Ronald Schouten, a Harvard professor who directs the Law and Psychiatry Service at Massachusetts General Hospital. We're taught, here's the quote, we're taught from an early age that when something is too good to be true, it's not true, he said, and yet we ignore the signals. People's critical judgments get suspended. In this case, that happened at both the personal and institutional level. That's the end of his quote. And then it says, though he will not diagnose from a distance, Shouten, who is one of the nation's foremost authorities on psychopathy, Mm -hmm. observed... Quote, Macarini is the extreme form of a con man. He is clearly bright and has accomplishments, but he can't contain himself. There's a void in his personality that he seems to want to fill by conning more and more people. End quote. Then the author asks, when I asked how Macarini stacks up to say Bernie Madoff, he laughed and said, Quote, Madoff was an ordinary con man with a Ponzi scheme. He never claimed to be the chairman of the Federal Reserve. He didn't suggest he was part of a secret international society of bankers. This guy is really good. Oh, that's so true, though. That's so, you know, I love Bernie Madoff. I know. I, that is so true. I thought I had to bring wow. that in. Now, shortly thereafter, remember the documentary they're doing in Sweden? Yes. Somebody talks to the producer there and says, hey, wait a minute, you should see this article that just came out in Vanity Fair. So now he has all this medical fraud and questions and whatnot, and then she has this whole personal side that are now all connected. So all of this came out. Now we go back to the Institute in 
Sweden. The Kalamenska? It's the Karolinska Institute. Yes. Well, now comes, you know, at this point, they they are pretty... they have to be shitting their pants because they're like, we really backed the wrong horse on this. They, they did. You know, when they're expecting him to be kind of this, um, you know, yeah. financial person yeah. that's going to bring them all the... The grant money. Grandeur and, the, and grand yeah. money and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So they do... He does finally get fired. <laughs> Okay. Um, It seems to me like there needs to be something more, but all right. Much of the leadership ends up resigning, including some of the people that are sitting on the Nobel Prize Committee. Really? Yep. Um, On June, I believe it, he gets, uh, Pablo gets finally brought to court. Okay. On charges of um, aggravated assault, he. But do you know where he was? This was in Sweden. These are the three people that were operated on at Karolinska. Okay. Okay. They can't bring. They bring charges, but part of the issue is, as it comes out, he ends up uh, being guilty on one count of causing bodily harm. His sentence is suspended. Okay. And it's something like, you know, as long as he doesn't do anything like yeah. that there for two years, he's cleared. Correct. Okay. But that just applies to Sweden. That just applies to Sweden. Okay. So, of course, people are very, some of the people in the background knowledge, they're very disappointed and they, you know, can't believe this. Part of it comes to that people are arriving to him already being very sick and these are last desperate measures and yeah, yeah. all of that. Eventually, this ruling goes back to court. A couple of years later, he gets brought up again on the same charges. Okay. In Sweden? In Sweden. Okay. And he is found guilty of aggravated assault on all three. Okay. And he is was convicted and serving two years and six months in prison. Okay. I did find that, and I thought this was interesting, that the prosecution... And Paolo himself have both appealed this verdict. And I find it interesting that both sides appealed. Yeah, so that's actually something you can't do that in. Okay, I'm sorry. I have I'm a little confused okay. on this. Okay. Both appealed that previous conviction. Yeah. And that's why he was. Retried and resentenced yeah. and got then he then he lost so I'm sure he's sorry he brought it up again, and that's when he got the two years and six months in prison. Although he has appealed this conviction to yeah. the Supreme Court in Sweden. Yeah. So in the U.S., you can't do that in criminal court, but you can do that in civil court, and it is kind of a double-edged sword because, right. like, if you appeal, say you get you know maximum damages or something, and you appeal that. Like, that could be raised. Like, that could be, for either side, it could go either way. You know what I mean? Right. So it's interesting that, and because I'm assuming these were criminal charges, because you said he was serving time. So, like, it's interesting to me that they can appeal that for a criminal charge, but that's just a difference in legal system, you know? Yes. It's a little weird. So, Bad Surgeon, Love Under the Knife on Netflix 
it when when I watched it, I was thinking of the Netflix, the one you had me do, the Puppet Master. Yeah, because it is as wild of a ride <laughs> as crazy. that one. And I apologize for going on. I just, <laughs> I just find this story crazy. Wow, good job. Thank you. <laughs> oh, by the way, the ring was not worth $100,000. She had it appraised. It was worth 1000 and she threw it into the river. I mean, that's still, that's, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's fine. <laughs> I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So when we had talked about um, what we were going to do for the show, you had mentioned that it was also part romance scam. Yes. So that is actually... What I leaned into okay. was the romance scam Ooh, part. Ooh, to be good. Yeah, um, and mine is kind of a shorter story. So I wanted to start out with some sort of interesting statistics on romance scams in the U.S. Okay. So according to the FTC in two thousand or in twenty twenty two, nearly seventy thousand people reported a romance scam. With losses of approximately $1.3 billion. Yikes. Yeah. Holy moly. And I wonder how many were not reported. Exactly. Yes. Um, The average loss was about $4,400 on average. The top favorite lie, which I found kind of interesting... Um, The top favorite lie from romance scammers is I or someone close to me is sick, hurt, or in jail. Right. Which makes sense. Followed closely by I can teach you how to invest your money. Yes, I've heard of both of those. Yeah. I I always thought if I end up on a website and somebody is going to do, you know, ooh, I would like to get to know you better. It's like, sure, great, but know upfront that I'm not giving you money for anything. Yeah. Literally. Right. That's my feeling. 40% of people who lost money in romance scam report that the contact started on social media, as you would guess. Um, And the preferred payment method as of 2022 was cryptocurrency. Ooh. I know. Changing times. The second one was like wiring money. So, I mean, it's it's literally like cryptocurrency and then the old way of sending money. No gift cards? (laughs) No gift cards. Um, and then reports uh, – are you familiar with the term sextortion? I can imagine what it is. Yeah. So it's basically getting people to send you nudes, um, nude photos, and then using that as blackmail to have right. them send you money. Right. So they call that sextortion. Um, but reports of that have increased eight times. Okay. In the previous – since the previous – yeah. Isn't that crazy? You should just never put those pictures out there for anybody. Exactly. Exactly. 
So even though this is kind of a shorter story, I still think it's really important that we're talking about it because we're going to be talking about what may be the most prolific romance scammer, Patrick Giblin. Okay. Have you heard of him before? I don't know, but... Stop talking and I'll catch <laughs> Because up. this is funny to me because your um, doctor, like he had the charisma and everything, but he also had the looks. This guy does not have it at all. Well, a lot of times the scammers are not using their own picture and they don't actually meet people in person. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, he was not. He's not it. (laughs) Um, But this is also a very, very like recent um, scam. So there's not a ton of background information on him himself, on Giblin himself. So we're just going to jump right into it. So Giblin's first arrest was in 1989. Um, According to the Daily Beast, he was arrested for, quote, convincing at least 10 women in New York to run up large credit card bills for him and then never repaying them. End quote. Okay. Um, although it's really like I could not really find what the result of those charges were. Uh, between 1989 and 1998, Giblin was convicted on over 30 crimes. Most of them were like petty theft. Okay. Um, and there were um, there was a sexual assault in 1990, but it other than that, it was like pretty minor stuff. Well, sexual assault. I said other yeah, than that. Other than that. Other than that. Okay. Um, but Giblin returned to his larger financial crimes when, again, from the Daily Beast in 1995, quote, he allegedly persuaded at least two victims to wire him money, um, and was busted targeting at least one more woman in 1997. Okay. For this, Giblin received nine months in prison for grand larceny. So he did get a little prison time. Now, following his release, it did not take very long for him to get right back into scamming uh, when, according to police, he managed to get away with $31,000 from 20 women across the U.S. by meeting them through a dating service. On these dating sites, including Lava Life and Quest Chat, neither of which I have ever heard of. I don't know any romance Dating you haven't sites. been on the dating sites? Not for, well, when I Ever. was dating, they hadn't invented no. computers yet. No, they would have been what, like newspaper dating ads, right? Oh, there might have been. Yeah. I don't know. Not that, but again, like not that you were really on that scene because like. Right. I mean, I've been off the market for like yes. 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so on these dating sites, Giblin presented himself as a charismatic man and he reassured potential marks that their physical appearance wasn't really an issue. It doesn't really matter. Um, he also created numerous accounts to target the U S and Canada. So expanding the operation, (laughs) according to CNN, Giblin would quote message women on the sites, tell them he was seeking a long-term relationship with a Real, true, genuine woman, and then exchange phone numbers. Okay. Giblin was able to build rapport with these women by spending large amounts of time talking to them on the phone. Uh, And once he felt like there was a good rapport, that's when Giblin would start asking them for money, often claiming that he was in some sort of financial crisis, uh, like his car had broken down, or, quote, needing funds to free up winnings from a gambling tournament. Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> like, please pay. Which honestly reminds me of like 
the the people having to pay for like the MI five classes, like right. to do right. like it's that kind of vibe almost. Yeah, so you you won the lottery, but you have to pay these taxes. Pay the taxes, first. yeah. <sighs> Which is just absurd. <laughs> yeah. Giblin would request money to be wired to him via MoneyGram or Western Union, even like giving instructions to the women who were like, I'm not familiar with wiring money. He'd be like, don't worry. I'll tell you exactly what to do every step of the way. Of course, authorities were keeping an eye on him because he had just been to prison for grand larceny. And they knew at this point that he was pretty much back to his old scam and ways and in 2001, police followed Giblin to Atlantic City, where he was arrested, later pleading guilty to two counts of grand larceny, although he blamed his predilection for crime on his gambling addiction. Gotcha. As other people have done. Yeah. And that's not to, like, delegitimize gambling addictions. Like, there are people with very... And he, I right. think he does have a real problem with this, but, like... There's something to be said for like self control, self control, and and like owning up to your crimes, right? Not being like it's not me, it's the gambling addiction. Yes. Like no, yes. it's you. Yeah. <laughs> As part of his plea deals in this case, Gillen agreed to pay back his victims and seek treatment. He was sentenced to six months six months in prison, which was time that he had already served while he was awaiting um, trial, as well as probation. But if you can spot the pattern, you would know that this is not the end of all of this. You go with what you're good at. <laughs> I guess. I don't know that he, I mean, I guess he was good at this. Well, but like, he keeps getting arrested. Right, right. Now, in October 2003, a woman named Carolyn Corcoran began communicating with Giblin after meeting him through Quest Personals. Okay. Corcoran had recently lost her child in a car accident, lost her job, and was helping care for her father who had terminal cancer. This was a really common thing. Like, Giblin yes. was going after these women who were vulnerable or just, like, not in ideal And that positions. actually ties in with Paolo because mm-hmm. if you think of these women, the one hus- uh, ex-husband was dying from brain cancer, the woman's whose son oh, he treated, yes. he was supporting her after the death of her son. Yes. Yeah. Vulnerability. Yes. During one of their conversations, Corcoran mentioned she had received $20,000 from her son's life insurance policy. Which was enough to get Giblin's ears to perk up. I bet. And he soon was claiming that he was on his way to her in Houston. Like, I'll be there soon. But partway into his drive, Giblin called Corcoran in a panic saying that the tires had blown out on Uh his car. Which I was thinking about this as I was writing and I was like... All of them at, at the once? same time? <laughs> wow. No What spare? are the chances? <laughs> so he called her, said, yep, all of my tires blew out, and that asked, asked her to uh, lend him some money, and he would pay her back when he arrived. So she did. Giblin never made it to Houston. Uh, and just a couple of weeks later, Corcoran arrived, received an, uh, another call from Giblin claiming that he had been arrested and was asking for help with bail. Okay. Corcoran agreed to help him out, um, but when she had tried to go to the ATM, 
there was a $400 withdrawal limit. Okay. And which was not enough to like pay the bail. So she told this to Giblin. He instructed her to go to Walmart and was like, here's what you got to do. You go to Walmart. You buy a TV with your debit card. And then you go to a different Walmart and return it for cash. He knows how it goes. Scammer's going to scam, man. (laughs) So... As Giblin is explaining this, she's like, I am not going to do that. Like, this is not, that's not it for me. So she starts pushing back, is like refusing to go along with it anymore. Um, And this sort of sends Giblin into a rage and he starts threatening to kill her father. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that in today with people threatening to kill family members. Yeah. So believing that he would, in fact, like kill her father, right? Uh, Corcoran sold her car and then sent the money to Giblin, um, sent the cash. In total, she ended up giving him $18,000. She was essentially left penniless. She had nothing okay. left after that. This often happens to people who don't have a whole lot to start yeah, with. Yeah, she did not have a lot to start with at all. And like I said, she had lost her job and she was like, yeah. So this is just one example of at least 100 women who were scammed by Giblin between 2000 and 2005. So five years, 100 women. Wow. At least. There might be more. Oh, Um, sure. Authorities definitely believe there were uh, more victims because, of course, this type of crime, like people are really embarrassed to come forward about it. They don't want to admit that they were tricked. They don't want to admit that they lost money. Like – there's a lot of embarrassment attached to this. and I just read something that if if you tell a family member what happened, that you were scammed or whatever, there's 50% less chance that it will happen again. Yeah, because now you have somebody saying, be careful. Pay, yes. This is what happened last time. Pay attention to yes. this. Yes. Or maybe you end up admitting to yourself what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. These scammers are professionals, though. It's not, you didn't do anything wrong Mm -hmm. in in most of these cases. You're dealing with somebody who's manipulating you and people are embarrassed because, well, they should have been smarter. No, these people are manipulating you. They're the ones who are causing the trouble it's not you yeah intelligence doesn't really play into it at all it's the no. same thing with like people joining cults like it's not necessarily an intelligence thing it is right. people being in the right state of mind at the right time to be vulnerable to right manipulation right. like it really could happen to so anybody if it happens to you tell somebody yes uh giblin was arrested again in atlantic city in 2005, where he was charged with 21 counts of wire fraud, mail fraud, and extortion. Gotcha. At, at his trial and sentencing hearing, a number of victims and witnesses testified, including a cashier from Caesars Atlantic City Casino's cash wiring service, who said Giblin was her best customer. Okay. <laughs> that should, you know, alarm bells. Yeah. There were, as I was looking through her testimony, there was another section where she talks about he had like a test question that he would ask to like try to get this money and he would come back multiple times a day. And she even remembered there was a time where it was like the third pickup of a day 
and he had gotten the money and he he was like pumping his fist in the cash money place and went yes like he three times in a day jackpot literally said three times in one day before like leaving the cash place at a casino that happens i guess but like that's a big red flag it is Corcoran uh, even spoke at this sentencing hearing saying, quote, there will never be another man in my life. Patrick took everything I had, self-esteem, money, everything, end quote. Uh, For this, this time he received nine and a half years in prison and three years parole. And as a part of his plea deal, Giblin had to admit that he had stolen more than $200,000 from various victims and was sent to federal prison in Greenville, Illinois. Oh, okay. And there he remained until 2012 when he was placed in... You thought that was the end of it, right? I thought that was the end of the story. Never, never. Uh, He was there until 2012 when he was placed in a residential re-entry program in Philadelphia. Gotcha. We're back in Philly. Back in Philly. Um, the program was run at Luzerin Treatment Center. It offered addiction therapy and work reentry training to help inmates make a smoother transition back into society. The center had granted Giblin a day pass to look for a job in Atlantic City. I'm rolling my eyes as you speak. Which in hindsight, and like knowing his history, there's part of me that's like, wouldn't you know his history? And You would think so. Specific, like that he's been arrested in Atlantic yeah, City, like, not once, but like multiple times. Right. And is claiming it's, to have this gambling addiction. It's like giving an alcoholic a job at a liquor store. Right. I didn't understand that one. I'm like, that was a terrible idea. Yes. So they give him this day pass. He goes to look for a job in Atlantic City. However, Giblin never returned. Oh. And he became a fugitive at that point. Because obviously he's still right. under federal right. care. Right. So it only took a month for authorities to track him down at a budget hotel called Roadway Inn in Atlantic City. Okay. He was still there. Still there. Upon a search of the room, U.S. Marshals discovered a notebook with names of women he had begun scamming while he was on the run. Again, from the Daily Beast, quote, Giblin had made a log of their hobbies, physical descriptions, and where they lived. Investigators said, has savings account. He allegedly wrote next to one woman's name. Next to another, he penned home paid off and not a gold digger. Investigators also found a cell phone and money transfer receipts. Okay. So he had to keep a notebook to keep all of the How women straight. have you said? Don't keep a journal. Don't Literally. A journal. I was just talking to Tommy about this over the weekend. Like, don't. You don't record your crimes. Right. Period. Yes. Ever. Not that we're giving advice. No. Not on how to do crimes. <laughs> yes. But I but if you are, <laughs> no, don't. Actually Just don't. Don't do the crime. <laughs> don't do the crime. <laughs> For this arrest, um, so given his arrest and he eventually ended up pleading guilty to prison escape, and he received another 18 months in prison. Okay. This time. Giblin was released on supervised release in 2013 in New Jersey. He was required to notify his probation officer of any plans to leave the state, but he obviously didn't care because Giblin was arrested in a hotel in New York later. Um, This time it was discovered that between the start of his supervised release in January 2013 and December 2014, Giblin stole $40,000 from at least 10 women in five states. 
I know. Is he traveling to these states? No. They're sending him money. They're sending him money. money. Yeah. This time, Giblin pled guilty to one count of interstate travel and intent to launder money, receiving five years in prison. As we all know, um, three years later, so that was, oh, he received that in 2017. Three years later, 2020, world's hit by a global pandemic. Um, and the U.S., which is the country with the largest incarceration rate in the world, is sort of forced to evaluate how many people they have crowding the prison system right. during a time of social distancing. Um, at this point, and sort of as a result of the pandemic, there was sort of a period where they released a lot of nonviolent offenders in order to um, control the population in the prisons on the basic right. of, basis of public health. And so because of this, Giblin was approved to be transferred to a halfway house in Newark, New Jersey. This sounds like a repeat, repeat, repeat. I There is literally, I'm like, is nobody reading his file? Like, this right. all has to be in there. Sure. Because he's been convicted of all of this right. stuff. But so I'm like. It's not a violent. Right. Crime. Right. So in July 2020, prison workers escorted Giblin to the airport where they watched him get on the plane. Um, There was supposed to be a stopover in North Carolina, and then the plane would arrive in Newark. When the plane arrived, Giblin was not on it. Okay. Between April 2019 and March 2021... Uh, including some of the time that he was in prison and a portion of the time that he was on the lam, Giblin defrauded around 12 women out of more than $37,000. And can you guess where they found him this time? At a casino? In Atlantic City. (laughs) Yeah, once again, authorities tracked Giblin down to Atlantic City where he was arrested. I was surprised earlier you said they put him in like a... Re, uh, home or someplace like a halfway in, house a halfway house in new jersey and i'm thinking he didn't need to leave the state because atlantic city is yeah, in new jersey exactly exactly so they found him there again uh he was arrested again and in july 2022 giblin pled guilty to wire fraud and escaping from federal custody In December 2022, Giblin was sentenced to 66 months in prison, as well as three years of supervised release and $23,428 in restitution. Oh, good. Uh, I truthfully would not be surprised if this is not the last time that we hear about him. Oh, Um, no, it seems to be... No, a habit because sixty-six years would, or I'm sorry, sixty-six months would be five and a half years, which is not, and he's not that old. To be honest with you, I mean, he's getting up there, but like, I feel like if he can survive that prison sentence, like he's got a few years on him. And I have a feeling when he gets out of prison, he's just going to do the same thing. Giblin has maintained that he himself is a victim of his gambling addiction. In an interview with the Daily Beast, Giblin said, quote, unfortunately, I have scammed and conned for many years. I'm not happy about what I have done. He said, yes, it has been thrilling, exciting, and has also come with failures along the way. Asked about his victims, he said, nobody put a gun to these women's heads. They went to Western Union with their own free will and sent me money. My lawyer said some of these women were a little bit naive and gullible, and they wound up sending me money. All the money that I took, it just happened, end quote. I call BS. Right? Big BS. It's not the victim's fault. Yeah. 
Yes. That I know. I know. I wanted to include that at the end because he's he's like, yeah, like I know I've done some bad things and I'm like not super happy. But it's not my fault that they just send me all of this money like delusional to the max. Yes. I would say. Really sad. Yeah. I I feel for these people. Yeah, because he at this point has stolen hundreds of thousands of dollars from I was glad at least at some point. Okay, there was restitution, but he probably has spent this money. I can't oh, yeah. imagine he owns a house and is driving a car and or a car worth anything. No. he. I mean, he's gambling it all in Atlantic City. Right. Yeah. So nothing to give back. Yeah. So that's the story of Patrick Giblin. Okay. I think there's a lesson here about romance scams. Yes. Don't give them money. Don't give anybody. If somebody's going to threaten to kill somebody in my family, I'm going to the police. I don't care if the person is... I appreciate that. Don't go to the police. As a member of your family, I appreciate that. Yes. (laughs) I, I, I hope you would do the same for me. Yeah. And before you decide to give a scammer some of your money, why don't you check out this podcast? Hello, this is Margot P., and this is Margot D. And we are the Margos. Margos, <laughs> co-hosts of the Book versus Movie podcast. We are the podcast that talks about films that are adapted from books. We read the book, we watch the movie, and then we decide which we like better, the book or the movie. Now I know what you guys are going to say. Duh, the book is always better than the movie. To which we always reply, have you ever read have you Jaws? Read Jaws? <laughs> we are not film experts or literary geniuses. Nope, we're just two friends who like to chat about books and movies. We really like to go for a deep dive into the history of the book and the background of the author and the trivia from the movie set. And most of all, we just like to have fun, so we never take ourselves or the books or movies too seriously. You can find us wherever you sign up for your podcast under the name Book Versus Movie. And on social media, you can find us at Book Versus and Movies. You just spell it all out. Hope you check us out soon. Well, that has been our show. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode, Mom. This is fun. As I said, I'm a professional talker, so I I appreciate you putting <laughs> with me. It was just a crazy story, and I love yours, too. Thanks. Um, we do not have anything coming up yet this year. Um, keep an eye on our social media. If we have anything coming up, that's going to be where it's at. Uh, but I think that's it. Do you have anything to end the show on? Anything you want to say for this episode? Janelle, you need to come back. (laughs) And with that, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. Ooh, I get to hear that in person. (laughs) This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye. So, Tiff, if you could do that, we would love you forever. We will. Thanks, we love girl. you already, though. <laughs> just saying. Okay, now I'm going to go yell at you in real life. Yahoo! <laughs> so, I take it it's cigarette break yeah. time? <laughs>